Hey everybody, it's Associate Pastor Jeff Boyette here at Grace Chapel Fairview, and welcome to our podcast. Our prayer for you today is that you will lean into the message and that you'll walk away feeling inspired and changed, bringing you a new perspective on how Jesus is moving in your life. Let's join Pastor Ian. I don't know about you guys, but picking friends in middle school was tough. But really in high school is when I had the weirdest experience with my friend group. I, I, was, I was being a knucklehead in seventh and eighth grade. My parents decided, hey, private school is the solution to all of our problems. And so I couldn't get into the one we were trying to get into. So for my freshman year, I showed up at one school knowing that my sophomore year I was going to be uh, headed over to, to David Lipscomb, which is very near my house. And, and it was an exciting time, but I knew it was a time where I could kind of kind of reset the script, so to speak. I had an opportunity to, to really build my, like, like who am I going to become? Where, what am I going to do? And, 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 and really, I realized as soon as I walked in the door, I wasn't near as bold as I thought. I, I just kind of like freaked out and went, oh my gosh, I guess I'm just going to try to decide, like, which tribe am I going to be in? And, 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 and I'm not sure how to act or how to dress or how to live or what to do. And and I realized that, that, that my options are kind of, you know, there's the smart, good kids, the religious kids, the bad kids, the fun kids, the boring kids, the sports kids, and there's not sports kids. And I'm sure today the, the options are like exponentially more complicated. But in reality, what happened to me is, is the community kind of ends up picking you, right? Like we get so freaked out and we're not sure how to act and we act, we definitely, like we end up saying things like, I like this and you don't really like that, but you just like it because your friends are liking it and you want to be cool. And, and so the community kind of dictates what group you're going to get. And I just need to tell you the smart, good kids took a pass on Gilchrist. <laughs> Look at me now. But there's a reality where, where you start to realize, like, hey, I'm going to start living my life. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to be who I'm going to be. And, and, like, you know, a few friends, some guy, like, kind of looks at you funny at the lunch table, and you're like, we're best friends now. And you just kind of have this bizarre, like, you know, if I could tell my kids something, come on in, Heather. It's all good. <laughs> she loves it when I call her out. But the truth is, is if I could tell my kids something, I would say, hey, have a little vision. Like, don't let your community pick you. You pick your community. But, but for some reason, as a young kid, you just kind of allow your, you know, your, your people. Like, if this guy thinks you're nice, you go, okay, cool. I'll be in your group. What are you into? And he's like, something I'm, you know, rollerblading. I'm like, cool, I can do that, I guess. Like, I definitely can't. But, but I allow myself to kind of become whatever community accepts me. And the question we got to ask ourselves is, is, as adults or as, as believers, as the body of Christ, has anything actually changed? How are we building our community? How are we deciding to, to, to assemble our tribe? Is it rooted in that which actually matters or is it actually just rooted in something else, something you never intended, something you, you maybe aren't even good at, something you never wanted to be associated with. But, but is your community just built up of the kind of school? So, 
So man, I homeschool, so I only associate with homeschoolers. Or I, I do private school, so, so we only are with private school people. Or maybe I'm the public school guys, and so we just community built on our public, where our kids go to school, where we work, how, what we do, how much our kids achieve, or how much is in our bank account. We have so many options for community, and unfortunately, I think so many of us allow our world to be dictated by things that shouldn't be dictating our world. We allow the community that we assemble around us, the tribe that we, that we live with, and the things we do to be, to be told to us as opposed to be handed by God to go, God, like, I do live here. Be with these people. Assemble your life in this way. And it's interesting to me that as the wall of Nehemiah gets finished, and mind you this, Steve was just reminding me, that what they did, what Nehemiah was able to do in 52 days hadn't been done in 90 years. So when the Spirit of God is calling you, when God's hand is on your life, when you're being obedient to fulfill the destiny God has put before you and no one else, when we stop letting our, 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 our decisions be made by kind of our circumstances and we start listening to God to call us out of a comfortable situation into a, a, a wild and crazy thing, into this place where all of a sudden we're going to see mirac- miracles happen. When we start to understand that, that when we live in God's calling on our life, anything really is possible. That, that when we put our, our best effort for, forward, 90 years can't complete what God can do in 52 days with a faithful man or woman. And so we've got to get a hold of this and go, man, I, I want to stop letting the world dictate things to me. I want to stop letting like my circumstances dictate things to me. I want to start living in the calling and the belief and the, and the, the life that God himself has ordained for me. Because when I get there and I step into that, miracles could happen. And it's not just for them or they, it's for us right here. And so, beloved, as we jump in and understand right now, there's a, there's a context we have to remember. That as the walls get finished, as the, the people of God start to recognize, oh my goodness, The walls of Jerusalem are complete. In the end of chapter 6, when Nehemiah resists the opposition, he says, hey, I'm not coming off this wall. I'm not hiding. God strengthened my hand, and, and, and he finishes and completes it. The book continues to unveil where it says, hey, now the, 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 the doors have been hung in the gates, and it, and it goes on to say, but the people weren't there. And so all of chapter 7 is kind of like culminated, like we could read it all, but you guys would start filing out. But it talks about this kind of census that's made, that these people and these people and these people started gathering together. And at the end, they call all the people back from their places of exile. They call all the people home to to come back because the walls have been built and it's in the shadow of this new wall. It's at the end of this new moment where, where we see Nehemiah and then this, this guy Ezra start to develop community 
and give some vision for the kind of community that, that this place was going to be. They kind of reset a standard, so to speak, to go, hey, now that we're all coming back together, how are we going to build this foundation and what is our community going to look like? You see, beloved, he's not making the, the fatal error of going, hey, let's just get a bunch of people together and just kind of see what happens. Let's just bring everybody back here, finish the wall, and just kind of hope it all goes well. He comes back with intentional vision about what community is all about. And beloved, the church has lost sight of the vision laid before them in Nehemiah. We have forgotten that there is, a, there is an actual plan for God's people. When, when we all, and y'all, I don't care where you're coming from today. You might be going, man, my, I've got some relationships that have been broken. I, I've, been, I've been hurt by this or wounded by that. I've been frustrated by this. I just left this job. I just left this place. I just left this wherever. I just moved. And, and, and we're all kind of coming together. And my heart and desire as the shepherd of this flock is to say, there is a foundation of community that can be laid. There is a, a clear calling and a purpose for us as the people of God. And it's not to be an event center. It's not to be a social club. It's not to be fill in the blank with whatever kind of weak gospel you want to put into it. But, but the word of God shows how Nehemiah built his community. Right here at the end of Nehemiah 7 and the beginning of 8. I'm going to read it together. When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the scribe, stood on a platform of wood which they had made for this purpose. And beside him at his right hand stood, here we go. I've been worried about this all week. <laughs> Mattatiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And at his left hand stood Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Heshum, Hezbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Did all right. Steve's not giving me the nod on that one. <laughs> Got to get to Israel soon. And Ezra opened to the people and stood up, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And then all of the people answered, Amen. While lifting up their hands, they bowed down their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Here we go again. Also, Jesua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatiah, Hodajah, Messiah, Kelitah, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peleah. And the Levites helped the people understand the law. And the people stood in their place, so they read distinctly from the book in the law of God. And they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the law to the people, 
to all the people. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all people wept. They were undone when they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, go your way, eat your fat, drink your sweet, send the portions for those who have nothing is prepared, for this day is holy to the Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, be still, for the day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink, to send portions and to rejoice greatly, because they understood the words that were declared to them. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and we are in desperate need of you today. Lord, no matter where we've come from or what we've, what we've arrived here with, without you, life is just a whole lot of nothing. And Lord, we don't desire to do churchy stuff today. We want to encounter the living Jesus. So God, come and speak Help us understand it. Help us interpret it. Lord, give me the words to say that we would walk out of here not saying to one to another we've heard a sermon, but that we've heard from Jesus. We welcome that, and we believe you for it. It's in your name we pray. Amen? Amen. It's my observation as I look at this text, and, and not to fumble over a bunch of names, but it's my observation that there's four key components to God-fearing community. As we look and explore, what does it look like to come from exile, to come from all over, to come from being displaced and gather in community? What should the focus of community be all about? And it's like, it's not that complicated. What do they do? What is the first act of, of common unity that they bring together? It says they built a little piece of wood in front of the water gate. If you'll remember chapter 3, the water gate means the word of God. And they brought out the law. They built a deck. And he read what would have been the Torah the first five books of the Bible, he, he stands in the middle of the people and he doesn't give some dynamic speech. He doesn't give some motivational, like, you know, build everybody up and freak them out. He simply stands and reads what most would say is the first, the, the most boring part of the whole word. And not if you like get into it and understand what it says, but but he reads the, the, the first five books. Can I remind you that the book of Numbers is in there? Have you ever read the book of Numbers? It's a lot of repetitiveness. And he stands and until midday, he just reads the truth. He speaks the truth. He stands on the truth, not on some organizational strategy, not on some plan of, of takeover. He just gets into God's word. Amen. And as he stands on that truth, you start to see that, 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 that this foundation for community isn't going to be built on anything but that. And if you find yourself in life right now going, I need to kind of build my tribe on a foundation on anything other than God's word and his word alone, you might be missing it. 
You might be falling into a trap. You might be kind of mixing some things that aren't supposed to be mixed because I'm telling you, every one of those foundations that we build will disappoint you. It will fail you. It will trip you up. If, if, you're, if your foundation for life is rooted on anything but the, the word of God, then you're, you're on sinking sand. You're on something that, like, like listen, I want to get my, I love my kids. I want them to do so good. But if my foundation for existing in community is rooted in my kids doing well, what happens when my kids fail? Am I not welcome anymore? Do I not belong anymore? And so the truth is, is I've got to go, what's, what's bigger than, than putting all of my weight, all my community on my kids? Well, well, maybe it's my job. Well, what happens when that goes away? What happens when your, your bank account doesn't hold up anymore or your neighborhood isn't as popular anymore? Well, at some point, we've got to go, hey, my foundation has to be laid on a solid rock. And so this is the solid rock. He says, hey, I'm coming out. I mean, y'all got to think, I don't know Ezra. I'm looking forward to seeing him, but I don't think he was like, being dynamic with that necessarily. He just read it. He just, just read it and, and long gone are the days where, like y'all know I was sitting in a, in, a, in a great class this week talking about uh, uh, preaching and, and I love to preach and I think I'm pretty out there loud and I use my hands and all that and I walk around. You know, a hundred years ago, it would have been like blasphemy to leave this spot. Dynamic preachers used different postures they would plan, and so that was like a crazy thing. All of a sudden, they, you know, he built it on a foundation. <laughs> that was edgy. I don't think Ezra was being edgy back then. I think this is ancient. He didn't care about trying to make it appealing. He just gave the truth anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we got to go, hey... What is our foundation? What is, the, what is our base? Matthew 7, 24 and 27 says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, will, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house and didn't fall, for it was founded on a rock. But everything, everyone who hears this, this is Jesus, these sayings of mine, and doesn't do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it fell. And it was a great fall. Beloved, we don't want that to be our destiny. We don't want that to be our legacy. We want to stand on something that's going to prop us up and shore us up. And when the winds come, which they will, and the rains come, which they are, we can stand. Because if you have your roots and your foundation on anything else, I'm not telling you it might happen. I'm telling you you're in trouble because it's coming. And it might already be here. The rains are coming. The winds will blow. Our community will be founded on this and this alone. But we got to ask ourselves, 
What's our foundation going to be on? Our past hurts, our common displacement, our frustration, our commonalities, our financial outlook, fill in the blank, or is it going to be on what really matters? Ezra started building on that. It says that he brought the law, verse 2, before the assembly of the men and women who could hear with understanding. And on the first day of the seventh month, then he read from the open in the square in front of the water gate until midday. He built on the truth. He brought the law. He read it in front of the water gate. And it's the only foundation which we can stand on. The second thing that happens that I see is they, they build on a solid foundation, but then they respond appropriately to the truth. It says, then all the people answered, amen and amen. And while lifting up their hands, they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. <clears throat> Beloved, what draws a response is often reflective of that which we value most. When Ezra stood on this wooden stage in the middle of God's people, in the middle of the newly built walls and the, and the gates being hung, in front of the, the gate, the water gate, likely near the water itself, you can see the scene. He begins to read the truth, and for hours he, he unveils the truth, he speaks the truth, and he, he, he sets the tone for where they're going. Y'all... If I got up this morning and said, I'm going to spend the next three or four hours, I'm going to read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Would it drive us to a place of worship or frustration? I don't even know how to say this other than the only response they had when he finished reading five long chapters of God's truth as they had been displaced and they had been separated and they had been all over, they had been places they didn't want to be, they finally are getting to come home and they hear that this place is not going to be about where they were, this place isn't going to be about what the frustrations were, this place isn't going to be about their hurts and their pains, this place is going to be on God's truth. The only thing they could do was cry out, God, I love you, and I'm for you, and I, and I, and I can't believe it, and I'm grateful, and, and amen, and amen, so be it, and so be it. They weren't interested in what's the strategy forward. They weren't interested in how, Nehemiah, are we going to grow this thing? They weren't interested in how are, are we going to be blah, blah, blah. They just were interested in going, God, yes. And I'm, I'm challenging us and even exhorting me first and foremost to remember this is all that matters. Getting into this word and letting it get into us. This isn't about trying to make the word of God speak to our world. It certainly does. It's about letting the word of God be our world so that we can make an impact in our world. It's about being so so caught up in it that our only response is amen and amen. Face down, uh, that's ugly worship. 
That's that like funky worshiper. You're kind of like, what's up with that guy? But they were all just undone by the truth. And it's a time where, where the, the people of God need to stop being enamored with a light show and start being enamored with what matters most. Amen. I'm all about technology. That's great. Look, we've got a 3,000-inch TV behind me. But <laughs> if that's ever the main thing, Leave. Go find somebody that'll preach the word because that doesn't matter. If we turned all the lights on, remember the, I love the first service I ever had in this room, every light was on, no microphones and no lights because we fried them in a thunderstorm. <laughs> we came in this room and we worshiped and we prayed and we preached the word to hundreds of people and we didn't have a, a nothing to make it look cool. And it was a beautiful thing. And I don't think this is a downgrade. I think it's great. I love the lights. I love all that stuff. But the bottom line is what moves you? If it takes a certain kind of posturing of lights, smoke, mirrors, and, 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 and loudness to get you to move into a spirit of worship, it could be that you're completely missing the point. And I want to invite you to reorient and restructure and recalibrate. I love that word calibrating. I, it stresses me out when my car says it needs to be recalibrated. I don't know what that means, but, but that idea of going, wait, we gotta kinda, we gotta shake this thing loose and refine north. We, we, we gotta get, let the main thing become the main thing what it is and what it isn't. We've got to focus and, and kind of restructure. We've got, we got to go to the mall map in the mall and, and not just look at it and try to find our way, but what do we have to do? We have to find the little dot that says, you are here. Where am I? If my worship is only happening, if my response to God is only happening, when every meticulous dial is cut to the exact you know, way that you need it. And now at this point, whoo, I can worship. That was my best worship voice. <laughs> You're fundamentally misunderstanding the, the deal. Worship isn't a performance to God or God's performance to you. Somebody said this last week and I went, wow, that was really enlightening. I can't tell you how long I've heard people say, worship is, is, is you with an audience of one. But the very idea that God needs you to perform for him makes you think that you have to do it in a certain way. God's not looking for a performance from you. He never has. He never will. That's why Jesus had to come. Worship is simply our response to that grace it's our response to that goodness. It's our, it's our response to the truth that you have been redeemed and made free, that grace has come to empower you to do everything he's called you to do and be everything he's called you to be, that you don't have to work for it, you don't have to earn it, you don't have to turn the dials in such a way as to start performing for it. This isn't about God going, okay, Ian, Show me. This is about me saying, being so grateful that he says, come.
to me that I come, that I respond, that I don't have to come to him and go, look, Dad, I I, I imagine it's like my kids, they come and go, hey, Dad, you want me to show you something? And I go, sure, yeah, I'd love to. Let me turn the football game off so I can. I'm I'm a terrible dad. That is bad. (laughs) Show me. But I don't base my condition of my love for them on how they perform. Oftentimes it's terrible. I don't need my my kids to, to do a certain thing in a certain way for me to love them, accept them, and welcome them in. I just go, oh man, that's awesome. And I pick them up and hug them, and that's God's heart for us. When you get into this book and you understand the truth and you start to to feed on it and eat on it and let it get inside of you and you start to to realize what all those stories are about and you start to understand why Numbers is there and you understand why Deuteronomy is there and you understand why all of it is there to paint this incredible love story from God to you that he says, come home and that we have a place with him. And now he's shown us how to live a life where it's not about us and it's about us making an impact to the watching world. And we don't make an impact to the watching world because he needs us to perform. We make an impact to the watching world because we're desperate for them to understand that if they can come home, they can have life to the fullest as well. Because when I put my foundation on anything other than that, and I let my response be based on anything other than that, I start to miss the point. And they bowed down, not to Nehemiah, not to Ezra. They all corporately realized, no matter what got me here, this is God's will for my life to bow down before him. And then I'm not going to put myself through it again, but in verse 7, the third point I see, they, they base it on the truth. They respond in appropriate worship. And then they start digging into the truth. People ask me sometimes, they say, well, you know, I, I, need to, I need to study my Bible more. And they always say it in some kind of really guilt-trippy way, like, you know, I just feel terrible because I'm not in the Word enough. But sometimes I don't. What did they do? Also, a lot of names helped the people understand the law. <laughs> Go dig into those names. That'd be a great Bible study. But in the people, they stood in their place. And the governor, uh, uh, Nehemiah, Ezra, the priest, and the Levites taught the people and said to all people. So there's this moment of of what should life, what should community, what should our our body look like as we kind of all arrive, as we we get back to, to what really matters, as we become the church that God has for us. What should our lives look like? Well, it should be rooted on this and this alone, not strategy or, or man's agenda or, or, or anything other than this. Then it needs to be a response from all of us, me included, that says, oh my God, look what you're doing. I'm, I'm right here where you want me to be. I'm doing what you've called me to do. But the majority of our time, the, the, the focus of our time should also be rooted in getting back into the book. Amen. It's fascinating to me. It's like, well, we're all here. We're we're worshiping, what, what should we do like tomorrow? I got an idea. People should get together and explain what this book is all about. It's like, well, that's not very. <laughs> but that's like in the Bible. 
What did they do? They responded in worship. And then the, the, those that are a little bit more mature, those that have, have been placed in a place, they said, hey, let us teach you what this book is all about. So the focus still is on God's word. There's still a desire to go, hey, I get it. Like if you walked in here off the street today, you've never been in church your whole life, and you open certain parts of this book, there might be some things that you're going, I don't know what that means. But there's people all around this church that do, and a life well lived is a life that serves others by helping them understand this book. I don't care if you're a banker, a plumber, an electrician, a, a, a fill in the blank, a pastor. Your life well lived is to help other people understand what this book is all about. So spend your efforts investing in that which actually has eternal meaning. Like find somebody and teach them about the book. Because when you get into that book and you know, yo. When I know I got to stand up here and say something about God's word, it makes me go to God's word in a different way. When I used to watch the, when I used to watch Steve get up, I'd go, whew, man, he's, I bet he reads the Bible a lot. And then it's like, hey, Ian, you get up. And I go, whew. <laughs> You spend a lot of time in that study. But the truth of the matter is, it's like you got to find somebody that you pour your life out to. And I don't care about it. I do care. I shouldn't say things so meanly. I know that like what you've gone through matters. And I know that like what your specialty is matters. And I know. But pouring your life into this book and letting it get passed on to somebody else is what matters more than anything else. And I want to challenge you, church, if you're not doing it, then do it. I don't want you to hear me say, it would be a good idea, maybe someday, if I have time and all the margins of my life disappear, and I just have, a, like, God just highlights this huge gap of, like, you're never going to have enough time, nothing's ever going to slow down, it's always going to get busier, more chaotic, I don't care. Do it anyways. Because a life well lived is a life that passes on the story. And if you're not passing on the story, I think you might be missing your purpose. God didn't put you where he put you so you could be influential without impact. This is kingdom impact. He says they, they started to, to pass it along. They helped them understand. They went to the others and said, hey, th that's what this community is all about. We're not going to be about having anything other than that. Because what, what's the truth? We don't have anything else to give. W what do you really have? Well, I, I played paintball once. <laughs> I was bad at it. I, 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 I spent my life being really good at the only thing that's going to make a difference to somebody who's going through devastating pain is found right here. The only thing that's going to keep somebody centered and grounded when they're being elevated in a way that can't, it's going to be right here. The only way to make real lasting change and impact in our, in our society, in our government, in our fill in the blank is right here. 
Passing this word along is going to help your banking friends be better bankers. It's going to help plumbers be better plumbers. It's going to help drivers be better drivers and pastors be better pastors. This is how we live. And this is how we live life to the fullest. And we've got to not just hear it as some kind of, that's good for those guys. But I'm telling you, it's good for every single one of us. And the fourth part is this. At some point, it's not just, it's not just staying in this room, right? At some point, our, our faithfulness, some point our community has to, has to take action. We've got we've to gotta go and live. We've got to go out there. And there's this moment at the end of this where it says, and then he said to them, go your way. Eat the fat, drink the sweet, send the portions to those whom nothing is prepared for this day is holy to our Lord. Don't sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted the people saying, be still for the day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and some portions to rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. You see, church, as we start to live and we start to function and we start to navigate community and we start to, to integrate the, the foundations that really matter, the functions that really matter, we get in the word, the word gets into us, we respond in worship, we bring this word to other people, we share it with the world around us. Then and only then it says, go now and live. Go now and, and go your way. Some of us need to hear this today, that, that our future is not defined by our past. Can anybody say amen to that? Yeah. Like if I was the sum total of my time at David Lipscomb High School. I'm trying to find Galen. I wouldn't be here, Galen. You know that. You knew me. If I was the sum total of my action, do you know my senior superlative was most likely to be the same in 20 years? But God. And so we got to get real and go, man, I'm not the same as I was 20 years ago. Thank God. He's doing something in me. Come on. And some of us just need to let God, like, get, get the freedom to go, hey, now things have changed. Go, therefore, and live your life. Stop being bound up by the past and thinking you're disqualified because of your history. Your destiny is before you. So go and live. And we've got to start going, hey, I don't care where you've been. I don't care the, I, I do care the hurts. I've got to get, come up with a better way to say that. I'm not rattled by your past. You, you might go, well, man, I, I had it great. I used to lead this company and do this thing, and I was big and influential, and I had all this, and, and I messed up, and I, God, I don't have it anymore. God just can't use me. It's like, what? Your history doesn't define your future. That's the beauty of the gospel. Anything is possible with you. 
well, I've just, I had my run and it was good. I, I, I can honestly say this because this is the gospel. Your best days are before you always. And we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be nervous. We don't have to. It said, hey, what is the song? It said, I, you wipe away my sorrow and my shame, right? Some point, you got to be able to go, hey, what's done is done. But he's not done with me. He's got a future for me and a hope, and it's not to, to sit around and sorrow and sulk in my, in my woe is me mentality. It's to stand tall and get ready to look, where's the next wall? Because somebody's got to go, and why can't it be you? Well, I, I got a sketchy past. I've hurt a lot of people. I've been hurt by a lot of people. I, I messed up. I, I've been wounded. get it. But your past is behind you now. Get into his word. Respond to his word. Share his word. And now go and live. Go your way. I can't go where Alan needs to go. I can't go where Alicia's going. I have to go my way. You go your way. And as we all go our way, we start to make a real change because you, know, you look at a room and a body of people this size and you say, if every one of us walked out of here today with a heart on fire to get into this book and let this book get into us and then let the overflow of that drive us to worship the king and then make in us a passion and a desire to share the truth with any and everyone we can. And from there we decide, hey, I'm going to go now in my ways. I'm going to go to my workplace. I'm going to go to my family. I'm going to go to my hometown. And I'm going to do the things God told me to do. I'm going to live this way. I'm going to eat the fat and drink the sweet. I'm going to experience the goodness of God, and I'm then going to go share it with those who haven't been given it. And in an effort to be faithful and obedient, to do everything God called me to do, even though it's tiresome, even though it's wearisome sometimes, it said that they, they told him, do not, don't, don't cry. Why? Because when you realize maybe for a lifetime I've been living the wrong way, my foundations have been rooted on the wrong thing, I've been focused on that which doesn't matter at all, it drives us to weep. It drives you to go, oh my God, I've, am I, like if I messed up and it's going, hey, dry the eyes, go and live. Because beloved, it is, it is our time as the church, it's our duty to not just simply live a, a life where we go, well, I'm going to watch and observe how God uses other people. I'm going to assume that all those promises are, are for them or them. I'm going to assume that I, I couldn't be Nehemiah. That's only those people or these groups. But I've said this time and time again. I'm not the Nehemiah in this room. You are. And, and, and we have got to understand that, that as, we, as we build this foundation, as we set this stage, that we are not limited by, we aren't or aren't covered by, 
maybe the mistakes of our past or even just things that, that we couldn't control in our past. But our destiny as the people of God, our future and our hope is rooted in our ability to, to be obedient to what this says and to respond to it appropriately. And when we do, and we start to go out and, and move into the world and we start to carry this, this mission with us, we start to go out of here and say, yeah, yes, I'm not just gonna be filled up by Sunday, but I'm gonna let it, let it overwhelm my Monday. I'm gonna let it overwhelm my Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, and I'm gonna start these studies, not because it's, you know, we're trying to hit a quota, but because if I start to pass this word along, it's gonna drive me deeper into relationship with him. And then I'm gonna share the, the good of life. I'm gonna eat the fat and drink the sweet and take it to everyone that I can. Because when I live that kind of life, I'm living life to the fullest. I'm embracing the inherited abundant life that Jesus himself died for. And I'm getting to walk in the anointing and the calling of God on my life. Beloved, this isn't supposed to just be a Sunday thing. This is an everyday every minute, every moment, forever kind of thing. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us so much that you gave us Jesus. We thank you for the great advantage of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that as we walk out of here today, we wouldn't say, church was good. We would say things like, I am changed. Draw us near, O oh God. Help us to understand what you'd have us to do. Help us to, to walk out of here with some real, tangible ways we can, can change our life in such a way as it would drive us toward you and make us more like you. We honor you, we invite you, we welcome you, and we thank you for the work you're doing in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen, somebody? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you really, really soon.